shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Yes, for the samples, because seasonal allergies are no joke in the state of Tennessee. Or Kentucky, where I spend the summers at Hopetown. I spend most of the summer outdoors and could not function without allergy relief. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You just described my exact state in waking up minus the need for coffee. (laughs) I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can be outside with the kids at camp without my eyes watering like a fountain, and I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. But at Hopetown, a frog could jump into your boat or your bed, (laughs) and Claritin can't really help with that. That's true, but they've got allergies covered. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey friends, welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. And I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you joined us for this conversation. Let's dive in. Kimberly Carraway is a mind, brain, and education specialist who works in the integration of cognitive neuroscience and teaching and learning strategies. She holds degrees in cognitive studies and elementary education from Vanderbilt University and in learning and teaching from Harvard University. We are so excited for you to listen to part A of this amazing conversation with our friend Kimberly Carraway. Well, this is a long-awaited treat for the two of us because we yes, have is. someone we greatly respect, but someone we also really enjoy who is a dear friend, a mm-hmm. gift to this community. In fact, I was thinking back to our first intersection, and that was my wife, you all heard me say before, is a learning specialist, and she came home one day talking about this remarkable woman she loves, Kimberly (laughs) Carraway, going on and on and on, and I remember her saying, quote, you need to know her, David, and then I remember the first time, I can still remember where I was in the room when I came to hear you speak on Mm. supporting kids with ADHD, and I thought, my next thought was, Every parent in this community needs to know you. Like, oh, it wow. was so obvious from the get-go. Everything my wife had said about you was 100% true and then some. And we have simply experienced that over and over and over and over as we've sat with families who have spent time at your amazing place, kids who didn't feel like they were learners yeah. who started to feel like they were. Mm. Yeah. And oh, that's so good It's to hear. a snapshot oh, of all the ways you have gift. been a gift to our community. Yes. And so it feels so oh. fun to have you in the room today. And we want to start with just having you tell us a little bit about you and yeah. how you found your way to this work. 
Uh, well, um, it is so fun to be here. I just love being with y'all Us in any too. context. And thank you for saying all those things. It has been um, really just such a special gift in my life to realize the giftings that God has given me and just how he has brought all these different things to fruition that I would have never, ever seen coming. So I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. and One of our wanted, favorite spots. It yes. is. It's such a great city. And, um, and I wanted to teach school. And so I um, that was my dream, to be a third grade teacher. And so went to Vanderbilt for college. And then I taught um, at Briarwood in Birmingham for several years and just felt like my all my dreams had come true. And But as I was teaching, I had, you know, so many different type kids in my class who struggled. And I just became fascinated with wanting to understand why, you know, mm. and how could I help the kid who cannot learn his multiplication facts? And how, why does this kid struggle with reading and this one doesn't? And, you know, the, all the answers that were in all the books were not enough for me. So um, the Lord allowed me to go back to graduate school and I got to study the intersection of neuroscience and education. So, And you went to? I uh, went to Harvard, um, <laughs> graduate school. So, yes, amazing. Um, it was That's such... just like you to leave that out. I, I, would, I would lead with that <laughs> yes. in every conversation. Yes. I'd leave that in every time I talk yes. to anyone. I, yes, such I'm a little sad you said it because now I'm going to be intimidated for the no, next 30 minutes. Oh, my but... goodness, no. God just was like, yeah, I don't think anybody thought I would get into Harvard. And then I did. And the Lord totally. was just like, I'm going to send you. And mm. so I went and I loved it. And, you know, just as his perfect timing is always perfect, it, uh, when I was there, um, they were just starting a brand new field of study, which is um, back then it was more like neuroscience and education. And there were several professors there who were wanting to start an international group on mind, brain, and education. And the field mm. of neuroscience was developing at such a rate that there was all this information out there and and educators didn't know how to use it, but it was certainly informative. And so um, I was able to start um, as a charter member of that international group, which was super small at the time. And um, and then I just felt like I had found my niche. Like, this is what I wanted to do was to help translate the neuroscience into usable knowledge for families, for kids and teachers, because teachers do not know this stuff. And so they're not taught it. I mean, really, nobody knew this stuff. And I was just learning it. And so um the field back then, that was probably 20-something years ago, and it has developed now to where, you know, there's master's programs in it, and you can train in that all over. But at the time, there there wasn't, you couldn't apply for a job anywhere um, in that field, and so I kind of got to create my own path. So moved to Nashville and um, set up a learning center at a school, and it's kind of like my little lab, and um, <laughs> got to practice some of the, the things we were talking about and um, and then uh, felt called to go out and just start a business where I could really get involved in the lives of kids and then train teachers. And so that was back in um, 2001 is when I started it wow. in my kitchen with my roommate, Jen. And, um, and really, I don't think I had nearly the expectation of where it would go, but it's developed into, um, you know, being an organization that gets to pour into the lives of kids and help support parents and 
um, really go in and love on teachers and help educate them on things that work and things that we know that work. And, you know, my goal is to provide just a lot of hope. Well, you're certainly doing it and you have done it for a lot of years. I mean, I was thinking, I feel like I have been referring folks to you forever. I know. I was thinking of kids that we shared, yes. you know, back literally like probably 20 years ago. I know. That are now, oh, you know, amazing adults. I can adults. still remember things kids would tell me that they learned from yeah. you and oh. how their eyes would just light up as they were it's connecting amazing. all of it. I'm just so grateful. And and I think the fact that we have benefited from you in this community for so long and that now Birmingham yeah. is too. I know. It's amazing. It is so exciting that we, yeah, we opened up a, a business there. A year ago in Cobb Heights, and um, and the it's name just been of your it's business, the Caraway Center yes. for Teaching and Learning. So it's in Nashville and in Birmingham, and and, and then we work with kids inter- internationally and nationally. So when COVID hit, that opened up a lot of avenues of uh, teaching over Zoom, which isn't ideal in a lot of ways, but it's also offered the ability to help coach some students and and parents in different states and cities. So yes, that was an unexpected blessing that came. Yeah. And you have this amazing book, which is between David and me right now, called Transforming Your Teaching. Yeah. And we love that you have done that, that you're helping equip educators too. We'd love for you to say a little bit about what you're hoping educators to gain from that. Yeah. So I I wrote this book probably about 10 years ago now. And I had several people ask me to write a book, and I I don't like to read. So um, (laughs) I was like, I don't really like to read, so I don't think I want to write a book. (laughs) It's amazing that you went Um, to Vanderbilt and then Harvard and don't like to read. I know. My mom always tried um, to get me to love it when I was a kid, and I just didn't. Anyway, so I went um, on my very first missions trip to Belize, and um, taught a bunch of teachers down there, and I got on a flight heading back and was just overwhelmed with the Lord's ask for me to write a book. I just, that's all I could hear on the flight back is I have given you all of this information and all of this creativity and it is yours to be a steward of and I want you to share it with the nations. And so I came back and thought, oh my goodness, I think I'll write a book and I think I need to write a book. And so it was it was an opportunity to give it away, you know, to, to people. And, and so ironically, the publisher contacted me, um, about two months later after I returned from that flight and out of the blue, I had actually ignored their email, um, for a couple of weeks because I didn't think it was true. And, um, and they had asked me to, to write a book about this for professionals. And so, um, I knew that was confirmation. The book itself uh, was written really to be the book that I always wished I could pull off my shelf when I was a teacher. So when you're a teacher, you're tired, you're busy, you don't have time to do all this extra research, and um, and you just need some immediate help for the next day. And so I wrote the book um, in such a way that it explains in very layman terms um, about let's say, reading and how the brain reads and what functions are happening while you're reading. And then I just have a ton of interventions. So what do you do to help a kid who is struggling with fluency or with, you know, remembering what they've read or with comprehension or answering questions? Um, And so there's chapters in there on attention and time management and 
uh, you know, how to help kids who are procrastinating. I put a section in on test anxiety and how do you deal with anxiety during a test or preparing for tests. And then it, you know, focuses on note taking and um, how to prepare for tests. So while it's written for teachers to be able to like pull off the shelf and, you know, look up, you know, how do I help this particular student with taking notes from a lecture? It's also been really helpful to parents. So mm. um, because it helps them be able to flip to that section and say, okay, my child is is struggling with paying attention while he's doing his homework or while she's in class. And mm-hmm. what are some tips that we know are backed by science that would be really helpful? So I don't even think my parents have read all the way through the book. It's <laughs> it's a long book, so it, it's meant but to be a reference book. I was going to say, you know, yeah, to flip to. Some- practical yes transforming your teaching and where can they get it uh they can get it on amazon and they can get it on our website at uh, carewaycenter.com or through uh norton um ww norton uh, press they can get it from them too okay go do that right now parents and educators and speaking of educators having done this work for as long as you have, what would you say is different about education today than when you started the work decades ago? Oh, yes. Oh, so much has changed. Um, You know, I think the biggest thing that I see is a change in understanding and mindset about learning. So, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we used to believe that learning was fixed, you know, and your cognitive abilities were fixed. And so, you know, we all learned like you grow up, you have a certain number of brain cells. If you drink, you kill brain cells. And then, you know, oh, well, that's all you got. And um, and really what we have learned is that the brain changes over time. So God has created the brain to be what's um, called plastic. It's moldable and it changes through experience. So Every single experience is going to change the functionality and some of the structure inside the brain. And we now can see that through fMRI studies. We are able to look at pictures of the brain before a child has had intervention. And then now we see pictures of the brain and the way they're functioning after the intervention. And you can see the physical changes that have happened because of the intervention that has occurred. And and we've learned that the brain develops new brain cells. So, like, what you have is not what you're going to end up with. Like, it grows new cells. And so this is really what captivates me, and I think it's what's exciting about the season we're in right now with education, is that I've never met a child who cannot get better at something that he or she struggles with because God has created a brain that changes over time and through experience. And so we may not know exactly how to change it or at what frequency or what intensity, but that's where we are in science and education right now is figuring those things out. So it's it's really it's a hopeful season I also think education has changed with technology. Just there's been just this influx of technology and it has changed the way we teach. It's changed the way kids are doing their homework. It's changed the way parents are, um, you know, informed about things at school. And, you know, it's changing at such a rate that I don't even think we know the consequences Mm. that um, we're going to face down the road. You know, some of my... um, 
students that I work with, you know, a lot of them have textbooks that are online. And, um, you know, there's nothing necessarily in and of itself bad with online textbooks. But in terms of looking at it through learning, um, there's a lot of consequences that can come when you are reading a textbook online versus reading it in print. And so, you know, for example, we've learned that, um, you know, when you're reading online, you skim. So your brain reads in what's called this um, F pattern. It reads across the top of the line, and then you drop down a little bit, and you read a half of the line, then you drop down a little bit. And so you're mm. really skimming and scanning when you're reading something online. And um, when you're reading on a printed text, you are doing something that's called close reading. So you're reading line by line and you're processing the information differently. Wow. And so, you know, one of the implications for education with that is um, I see a lot of these kids that are trying to read Shakespeare online cool. and the comprehension is significantly lower. Mm. Um, they don't score as well on tests. And so, um, you know, that's an example. Would you recommend that those parents get a physical book for their kids? If yeah, so part of the stuff that we do is kind of helping parents make these wise decisions about mm -hmm. when is it good to do it online and when mm -hmm. is it good to do it in print? Um, and so for any novel, for any complex text, um, I'm always recommending print. Um, for uh, kids who are struggling in any academic subject, I'm going to immediately recommend they order the hard copy textbook. And I can... And will school support that? Schools will, yeah. Okay, I mean, they won't buy it for them, but yeah. they will often say that's fine. And um, and so the kids are the ones that are a little bit more reluctant to try it. They don't see the need for it. But mm -hmm. I mean, we can change a grade by probably 10 points just by adding some printed materials. Wow. Technology also, I think, just interferes so much because... It's such a distraction. So, yes. you know, the students are on their laptops all day and laptops are tempting no matter how many like attempts you do to, you know, kind of lock it down so they mm -hmm. can't get on different Sounds sites. Uh -huh. Kids are smart and they figure out ways to navigate around that. And, you know, the research will just show that just that temptation to have multiple tabs open, even if it's checking ESPN stats or, you know, how your fantasy football league is going, it's um, something that definitely interferes with their learning process. Mm. And so, you know, I help my kids try to come up with a rule of only having three tabs open at a time. It could be their one tab that tells them what the work is and the assignment that they're working on. And then I'm trying to educate um, children to print out part of the assignment. Um, and if kids who struggle with technology or addiction to technology, I especially don't want them on the tech as much as possible. So um, uh, often having them print assignments and then maybe just go online to enter in the answers um, so that I can reduce the amount of time that they're online. Sissy, have I told you that breakfast is my favorite meal of the day? You have. You'd eat pancakes or waffles any time of day, given the option, wouldn't you? I would. I love all breakfast foods all the time. This morning, I made a breakfast scramble, and I'm here to tell you it was incredible. Did you make it in your green pan? Yes, I did. It had sweet potatoes, peppers, tomatoes, sausage, bacon. I threw in some kale in an attempt to be healthy. It was amazing. And best of all, I didn't need a drop of oil because my food never sticks to my pans anymore now that I cook with green pan. 
Did you get your slow cooker in the mail? Yes, I just made brisket. And you know, I use some of that to make brisket tacos with eggs. Oh, of course you did. I can't get over how beautiful that slow cooker looks in my kitchen. Mine is cloud cream, but it's available in eight colors. So there's definitely one that will complement every kitchen. I love that with green pan, cleanup is so easy. I also love the end pot browning. There's no more browning on your stove and then adding it to your slow cooker. With Green Pan, their slow cooker does it all at once. I love that Green Pan is free from harmful substances. Green Pan's cookware are free of PFAS, PFOA, lead, and cadmium. Don't know what most of that means, <laughs> but all you need to know is that your current cookware might be coated with forever chemicals, but Green Pan's are free of all forever chemicals. So toss those plastic pans and upgrade your cookware this holiday season with Green Pan. Head to greenpan.us and use promo code RVG and you'll receive 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, 30% off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code RBG or they won't know we sent you. Sissy, we just spoke in town last night and reminded the parents in the room about putting on their oxygen mask first. That great reminder that flight attendants give parents when they board flights. With summer rolling around and kids home more hours of the week than ever, that reminder feels so important. A hilarious dad who works from home told me last night at the book table that when school ends, sometimes his sanity does as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know who could help that dad out? Our friends at Wendy. Wendy is here to help parents relieve the stress in finding high-quality sitters when they need them. I am talking daily with parents who are worried about summer childcare logistics. Wendy offers a nanny service where they match college students with families for the summer. We all love summer, and your kids especially love summer, but we lose the consistent schedule of kids in school. This creates all kinds of problems. Thankfully, there is a solution to this problem. Wendy, that's W-Y-N-D-Y, is an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These college student nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome. Wendy has been around for seven years. Over 20,000 families have used Wendy to complete more than 140,000 jobs. There are hundreds of qualified college student nannies on Wendy ready to work near you. Families have greater child care needs in the summer, and college students are looking for jobs. Wendy is here to match families to these college nannies. Everybody wins. This could be part-time or full-time. Wendy has a match for your needs. All you have to do is go to wendy.com rbg to start a search for a nanny, and as a special offer, they are going to knock $50 off your search if you go through that link. Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of a traditional nanny agency and no ongoing fees. Here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash rbg to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. Go to wyndy.com slash rbg. Wow, 
Wow. Yes. So what other specific ways do you feel like parents can support their kids' academic journeys? And is there anything that you would say specifically to parents of younger kids or teenagers or both? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my, my probably my first advice is to really make sure that your children know what they're really great at. Mm. Um, when I meet with a student, my very first question is, tell me three things that you're really great at doing. Could be in school or could be just at, at home or with your friends. And it's really interesting to me which ones who can name it and which ones don't know what their, what their strengths are. And so I think throughout a kid's life, you know, we're designed with different strengths and um, we all have different weaknesses. And so um, I love working with children and helping them understand, you know, what are they really good at? They might be great at baking. They might be great at game design or, you know, throwing a football or doing fractions. And so helping them verbalize that early on, I think is really important. You know, the second thing that I would recommend is to really listen to your child. I think that when it comes to academics, parents often jump to conclusions. and They think they know why the kid did this or they, um, at least in my office, they'll jump in and they'll answer for the child. But, you know, kids know what they're having a hard time with. I mean, they're in school all day long. They know what's hard. They know what's difficult with teachers. They know why the math is hard for them or why they have a hard time with reading. And I, I think parents want their kids to be so good at all these things naturally and get nervous when they are struggling with different things. And, um, and so one of the things that I just advise parents to do is really just ask a lot of questions and don't don't fill in the answers for them, but really just sit and listen. And if you listen long enough and you listen to what's being said over and over again, there, there's a reason they're saying that. Mm. And so that's an area at which, you know, I'm going to dig in and press a little bit harder and figuring out how to help them. And, you know, I think it's um, also hard for parents to let their kids fail and struggle. And, you know, one of the, the most important things I've learned over life, I mean, doing this for so long, the kids who have learning differences, they are failing at so many things academically early on. And it is so beautiful to watch them develop into teenagers and adults because they have a resilience, they have the ability the neural networks in their brain that know how to fail and how to get up mm. and then move forward. Yes. And it is that. something that I am always just so jealous of in so many ways. Mm. I don't think I didn't fail a lot academically when I was a little kid. And, you know, everybody fails at a thousand different things in their life, but learning how to walk through failure you're going to learn it as an adult or you're going to work, learn it as a teenager or as a kid. And, mm. and so I think my advice to parents would be to really, when they're young and they're so resilient, to, to let them fail. If they leave their book at home in elementary school, don't bring it to them. Just, you know, kind of cringe and just be like, I can't do it. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're helping them with math problems, don't jump in so quickly and tell them how to do it and solve the problem. Like, 
the struggle is what's really important. And so I often compare it to like learning to ride a bike where, you know, when you're learning to ride a bike, it's messy. Like you don't expect the kid to get on the bike and just like ride the bike. You're going to fall. You're going to wiggle. You're going to wobble. You're going to get one good roll in and then you're going to fail again. And and that is really what learning looks like. And so you have to have the opportunity to fail in order to learn. And so I think we we try to save them from feeling bad about themselves when they fail. And instead, it robs them of learning how to manage that. And so, um, you know, I, I encourage parents to just think about it like learning a to ride a bike, you know, where I'm going to help coach them. I'm going to be there with them. I'm not going to let them fall too hard. I'm going to keep them safe, but I'm, I've got to let them learn in, in the middle here while they're, and then they'll take off and then they'll know. Yes. Um, so that's, that's so good. Yes. That's definitely some of that Can advice. I throw in a question along those? Yeah. I feel like I'm sitting with more perfectionistic girls than I ever have. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Yes. And yes. and I one of the things I will say to them sometimes, backing up from school, but they're definitely perfectionistic about school, is I'll say, what's the lowest A at your school? And they'll say 94. And I'll say, what does it look like to go for a 94 in life? You know, yes. That's just that's a great give comment. Up. I would but, love it. But what do you tell yes. perfectionistic kids? Because I think we need to know, too. We see so many. Oh, yes. I feel like I'm, I call myself a recovering perfectionist um, because I was definitely that perfectionistic girl. So I work with a lot of girls who yes. fall into that category and a lot of moms who fall mm. into that category, yes. too. And, you know, I think the um, conversation we have a lot is at what cost is this going to come? And so, you know, when we're striving to get the A, um, in a particular class, we'll, we'll kind of lay it out and evaluate, like, what are we going to have to give up to get this A? Mm. And what are we going to have to do to get the A? So, you know, sometimes it's not that much. I mean, it's an hour of studying, and they can work hard, and they can do well there. And then other times, it's they're going to miss being able to go out with their friends, and they're not getting rest, and they're staying up really late mm. at night. And so, you know, we'll name a lot of those consequences mm. um, that are going to come and then kind of help that helps them be able to at least decide like, OK, this is maybe worth it or maybe not. I think also That's valuing great. I celebrate a lot of um, their playtime. So I think just conversationally with my perfectionist, when they come in and um, they have done something that's not typical for them um, and they really played or they took the night off or they didn't do it, I'm, I'm helping to teach them how to be praised for something other than academics. So I will celebrate. I'm so proud of you for not staying up late and finishing that last night, which is counterintuitive to their brain, but that has... Um, helped a lot. And so good. I think with a lot of these girls too, uh, when they when they get a grade back and they're really disappointed mm -hmm. um, academically in their grade, you know, one of the most helpful strategies I use with them is I'll ask them, how true is this statement that you're saying to yourself? You know, so they'll say, I'm a failure. I'm going to fail this class. And then I'm not going to be able to get into the school that I want to get into. And this might be a seventh grader that's concerned they won't right. get into Princeton. Yes. And <laughs> so I'm like, you know, um, how true is it that this grade is going to keep you out of Princeton? And they'll be like, well, it could. And I'm like, 
okay, they'll say 90% true in their mind. And then I'll say, well, how, what percent uh, of helpfulness is this? How helpful is this? And they'll rate that and um, say, well, it's probably not helpful for me to think that way. And, and so that's been really effective. That's um, great. Also with perfectionism, um, I often think if I ever wrote another book, the mm. name of the book would be The Art of Making a Bee. Um, oh, because please write that. It yes, really is it. this thing that you have to learn how to make a bee. And for those kids that are so used to A's, like there's so much value in learning how to make a bee. And it is an art. You've got to learn what to give up, what to skip, what's more important in life. And and I had that experience at Harvard. I was um, had this one big paper due, and um, I knew that if I stayed up all night and finished it and worked on it all weekend, I could get an A+. Plus. And I had always up to this point. And so, uh, but there was this guy and I wanted to go out with this guy and he finally asked me out the night before my paper no, was due. Wow. And I remember having this moment of thinking, you know, if I go out with him, I am not going to make an A. And I thought, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. I'm just going to go out with him and I'm going to choose differently. And Oh, I made a B plus and I was so <laughs> proud of it because I was so <laughs> proud of myself for choosing something other than what I had always chosen. Yes. And, um, you know, I don't think I ever saw him after that, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a so story I always though. remember. So I encourage, I tell my kids that a lot and encourage yes. them to just, you know, let's be successful in some other areas of life mm. other than just academics. Mm. So. Mm. Such great reminders. David? Yes? Why are you wearing an apron? I've been thinking about opening a restaurant. <laughs> I'm worried you've been watching too many episodes of The Bear. I have. Will you refer to me as chef from time to time? <laughs> no. Seriously, though, I am starting to think of myself as a bit of a chef. Every plate is helping me convince my family that I know what I'm doing in the kitchen. They make it so easy. They absolutely do. What have you made lately? I just made the saucy cumin lime chicken tacos. They were saucy, spicy, and spectacular. <laughs> it's finally getting cold in Nashville, and I made the hearty chicken sausage and kale soup. That sounds amazing. Well, and Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and if you are hoping to budget your food expenses this holiday season, get more bang with your bite with America's Best Value Meal Kit. Every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery store shopping with no hidden fees so you can add more items to your cart for delicious holiday meals. Plus, only pay for what you need with pre-portioned ingredients. Enjoy wholesome, filling meals with loved ones this holiday with Family Style. Every plate's new selection of hearty recipes featuring a protein-packed main dish and not one but two scrumptious sides. The more the merrier. Choose every plate over takeout to save money while still enjoying fresh, satisfying meals. Their meals are 50% cheaper than your average fast casual meal. They're the easiest way to eat affordably. Put the money you save toward making holiday plans. And if you're craving steak, every plate is introducing a dollar steak for life. Add a 10 ounce ranch steak to your weekly order for only $1. Get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49RBG. That's up to $110 value. 
Yes, it is. Get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49RBG. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. David, did you get your taxes finished? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what are you eating? Okay, I am obsessed with these new Chipotle barbecue kettle chips. Will you share? I would have, but they are all gone. Where did you get them? Thrive Market. Uh, how much do we love Thrive Market? I could record an entire podcast about that topic. You know who else loves Thrive Market? Patches. She loves the surf and turf meaty littles from the Honest Kitchen. I love that Patches has a surf and turf situation going on. (laughs) From pets to kids to grownups, everyone can find things they love at Thrive. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily and always has some of my favorite brands. David, how much did you save on your last order? I saved $32. I saved over $12.67. How much did Patches save? (laughs) A lot. She's ordering more than I am. You got me hooked on ordering frozen foods. I got salmon, bacon, and pork this month. Something else I love is when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. I love that too. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash RBG for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash RBG. Thrivemarket.com slash RBG. Well, and this is such a picture of the differences we so often see in our offices that you would ask about perfectionistic girls, girls who are overperforming. I'm about to ask a question about boys who are underperforming, and I see a lot of that. I sit with a lot of frustrated parents in that space, and I have, Kimberly, long talked about the journey of training boys to be independent learners and how easy I think it is to accidentally be training a dependent learner. And so I would love to hear your thoughts in that space and also anything that you would say parents could be doing, again, accidentally, you know, even from a place of being well-intentioned and wanting good things for him, but getting in the way of that long game of training an independent learner or developing an independent learner. Yes. Oh, no, I love that question because – 
That is my goal. And in our office, I always say my job is to work myself out of a job. Mm. You know, I want to see you. I want to help you. I want to equip you. And then I don't want you to have to come back and see me again. Um, and I want you to become this independent um, learner. And I see a lot of boys in that same way. And, you know, boys are, um, and, and girls also, um, my biggest thing that I tell to parents is, the brain is developing, right? The brain of a fifth grader is not the same brain as an adult brain. The brain of a 15-year-old is very different from that of a 25-year-old. And, um, and we know that the brain is changing over time. And we know the brain changes from experience. And so because of that, these skills that we want them to develop those skills have to receive a lot of repetition and practice. So often when it comes to like studying for tests, one of my big questions um, about studying for tests, when you've got a mom that's helping her son study for a test, I'm always asking, whose brain is doing more of the work? So <laughs> are, is he rolling around on the floor and you're calling out the questions, you know, and y'all are studying and you've got, you're holding the study guide, you're reading the questions, you're telling him if he's right or wrong. He's saying how much longer, okay, are we done yet? Mama, I already know this. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Wait, why do yes. we have to keep doing this? Yes. And so, wow. you know, I bet there's so many people who think, how does she see inside my home right yes. now? I feel like you have a camera. It is every, is almost every home. And so mm. mom, you know, at some point in the process gets excited because mom's now understanding why the water cycle works the way it does. <laughs> and, you know, the kid is just regurgitating answers back and forth. You know, it's like, if I say this, then, you know, I've answered the question and we can move on. And at some point the kid answers enough of the questions and it's dinner time and mom's got to go do this. And so they're done. And, you know, oftentimes the kid comes back the next day and says, you know, or we get the grade back and the mom looks at it and says, I, I don't understand. You knew all this. What happened? You know, you knew it last night. And and so there's so many things that could happen in that test taking um, experience. But one of the big questions I ask is whose brain knew more of it, you know? Was it your brain that knew a lot of it? And and the brain stores information in different areas. So when you're learning something and you're looking at it, that visual information is stored in the back of the brain and the visual cortex. And when you're listening to it, it's stored in the auditory cortex. And so I'm always looking at the child's brain thinking, where is this information getting stored? Is it getting stored visually? Is it getting stored auditorily? Are you having experience actually writing it down? And so I think in developing independent learners, you know, you've got to have the kid's brain doing more of the work than your brain is doing. And that makes sense when you think about like studying for a spelling test, like the kid actually has to be the one practicing that and rewriting words and, you know, going over it every night to get ready for the test. What we don't compare it to is like executive function skills, which include, you know, cueing and directing and planning and organizing and reflecting. And basically anything that a seventh grader is not good at um, is what executive function skills are. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I always am talking to parents because I'm like, if, if you're the one that is organizing the backpack, 
your brain is getting so strong in organizing and planning and putting things in the right place. You're making visual memories of where you put that sheet of paper. You you're, think you're helping your kid, but you're not. You mm. know, the child has got to be the one that puts the papers in the backpack. The child's brain has got to be the one that gets better at organizing. And so with, you know, boys especially, uh, you know, it's making them stop and do it themselves. And it's really hard for parents because lots of the moms that are really on top of it and very organized, they are blessed with children who are not. And they want to jump in and they want to get the thrill of doing it. But we rob the kid of getting the thrill of doing it. And, and we rob the kid of the ownership of, I put this binder together. I organized it. And um, I mean, of course, the kid's going to complain while they're doing it. They're not going to see the value of it initially, but it, it requires repetition. I, I would also say that, um, you know, it's really important, especially for the teenage boys and high school boys, that we give them a lot of choice. Um, so often I see parents really dictating how you're going to study, when you're going to study, you need to make note cards this way, this night. And I went out and bought this planner and I want you to use this planner. And so I like flipping it where I'm like, I do not want you to go buy the planner for the child. I want you to take the child and have the child pick out the planner. Child knows how much space they need. Child, let the child own that. Um, you know, also just, you know, when you are planning out the schedule for the week, you know, don't plan out what they're going to do every night for homework. Make them plan it. You can speak into it and help guide them and uh, remind them, but make them do it, make them write it. And, and that is going to help, that empowers the kid, that equips the student, that builds those neural networks so that they're then capable of doing the, the harder things that come later. And, you know, it's during that time of seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, that the brain is going through major changes. I mean, changes that are more significant than the changes in infancy. And, you know, I love explaining this to parents because we totally accept it that a seventh grade boy might be, you know, this tall. <laughs> the eighth grade yes. girl might be this tall, yes. and, you know, which is two feet taller than the boy mm -hmm. or the boy. We would never match up. Um, you know, a boy who's really short with a really tall boy in seventh grade in a wrestling match. Like, it just would not be fair. And we're doing that all the time cognitively. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. in the same way that height differences and shape differences are changing at such rapid rates during the season, um, cognitive changes are happening as well. But we expect all of our kids, because they just entered seventh grade, to be able to do seventh grade work. And that's just not the way it is. Um, and so, you know, I also like to encourage parents that if you have students that struggle with attention um, issues, some of the executive function, you know, really, in terms of the brain development with those executive functions, you're about um, two years behind yes. your peer group. And so if you've got a 15-year-old, I really talk with parents about, you know, let's expect 
what would you expect of a 13-year-old? And that's what I'd hold them accountable for right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to teach them how to get to the 15-year-old task, and we're not going to let them get, get away with it. We're going to help support them. But where's that margin of what you're expecting versus what they're capable of? And how do you need to narrow that gap um, based on their learning profile? You know, some of those, really, some of those tips. Oh, you know? this is so good. Okay. We've made an executive decision right here between the two of us. Yes, we looked we at each other and I could tell exactly what was going on in your new neural pathways over there. <laughs> and it was exactly what was happening in mine, which is we are not going to let this rich, helpful, life-giving conversation stop. So rather than cutting the interview short, you're about to thank us. We are going to land the plane on what we'll call part A of the episode, and we are going to offer part B because we know with a lot of certainty that you all are taking notes right now, thinking, please say more. Don't stop giving these great practical ideas. And so we're not. We're going to pause at part A, and then we're going to have a second part to our rich, important conversation with Kimberly Carraway. If you are enjoying the Raising Boys and Girls podcast, click follow on your podcast listening app to subscribe and not miss an episode. Join us next time for another episode where we'll bring you help and hope on your journey of raising boys and girls. 